Happy third Sunday of Advent. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Charles, and if we haven't met yet, I would really love to meet you. So please come up and say hi to me after the service if you can. Uh, we're right in the middle of the season of Advent, which for us, historically, is a time of waiting. It's a time of waiting and building anticipation for the arrival of our King at Christmas, which is bearing down on us quickly right now. And during this time, what we like to do is revisit some of the old stories that surround the the birth of Jesus. And uh, remembering these stories tell us just some of what God was up to and the hope that they might have the effect of building for us a sense of anticipation as we wait for Jesus, our King. And that's who we are as Christians, are those who wait for Jesus, our King, to come again. And so at its most basic sense, That's what we're looking at this morning as we look at at this passage where we read about the story of the birth of John the Baptist. We're going to look at all the ways that God is calling us to, to stir with anticipation, just like the people were doing in this story. So let's read this together. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. I know that might be a, a bit of a long passage, but just hang with me if you can. And then I'll pray and we will dig in. This is, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no. He shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. (laughs) It's very assertive. (laughs) And they all wondered and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts 
will be good and right and pleasing before you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go to work in this place and proclaim the truth about Jesus that we need to hear so badly. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me begin this morning by telling you about a friend of mine. And uh, not everybody is universally liked, but this guy comes real close. I'm confident that just about anybody in here would just love to spend time with this guy. He's, uh, his presence is something that just kind of makes your heart swell when he's around. And, uh, and this is someone I've never lived with. I've never been in the same city as him for any amount of time. Um, but, uh, but he is well-schooled in the art of friendship. And in the past, I've described his approach to friendship as kind of like a tractor beam. Like once he has his eyes set on you, he is drawing you in to a relationship with him. And there's very little that you can do about it. And the thing that stands out to me the most uh, about him is just how uh, he has deep and considerate thoughts for you. And then he lets you know about him. Like there have been times where I... Uh, He has anticipated worries and concerns in my own heart before I was even familiar enough with them to to articulate them for myself. And a phone call or a text from him is just never far away. And every Sunday morning, actually this didn't happen this morning, so I'm going to have to let him know about this. But every Sunday morning uh, during that moment that, that like, short amount of time. Every pastor is very familiar with that amount of time where you're just trying to gather all those last minute thoughts before you go into gathered worship together. I get a text from him telling me that he just prayed for me. And I don't know if I've ever said it to him, but those simple little texts mean the world to me. And I could go on and on about how my life is sweeter because he's in it. But here's what I want you to hear. The thing that a friendship like that teaches me and I think trains us to understand is that you are never alone. And that's something that we all need to know every moment of every day. And the joy of Advent that's before us is that this powerful demonstration of God's movement in history, and it reminds us that God is in fact never far away from us. He's never removed or uncaring, but he is actually deeply committed to you and his people and his ongoing mission to renew us and the world around us. And these stories, and this story in particular that surround the birth of Jesus, are full of joy because these people are witnessing in extraordinary ways, God's acting presence in their midst, that he is drawing near to his people. And right at its heart, that, at, right at the heart of the incarnation, Jesus becoming man and coming into our world to be with us, that is the joy that is stirred within us, is God coming near to us and reminding us that he's close to us and of his ongoing and deep care for his people. And that is exactly what Elizabeth and Zechariah are experiencing in this story, that God is drawing near to them. And that's our hope. And so what I want to do is talk about this, 
in two ways, this story in two ways. The extraordinary circumstances that surround the birth of John the Baptist and the extraordinary purposes for which he was born. So two points, extraordinary circumstances, extraordinary purposes. All right, you ready? All right, extraordinary circumstances. This is a a fact that I'm reminded of every time I look at my own kids that in some way every birth is miraculous. Like every birth is extraordinary. But I'm using this word uh, to, to, to just say that in, in particular, this birth is incredibly extraordinary. And it really starts with who his parents are. Like we, we see this as we look back at the, uh, the visit of the angel Gabriel that he had with, uh, with Zechariah when he was serving him in the temple. Uh, the angel Gabriel told Zechariah, you and Elizabeth are going to give birth to a son. And Zechariah says, how can this be? He expresses doubt because, uh, because they're, both, they're both old and they've never had the chance to have a baby yet. And so these are extraordinary circumstances because this is, these are extraordinary, this is an extraordinary thing happening to older parents. And he expressed doubt. And so that's the first thing that stands out to us is, uh, are, are, is this is happening to older parents. But as well, that we have this interesting story about a name. And this whole thing is fascinating. They gave him the name John. Now, it, it can be hard to understand. And now they are doing this because they are obeying exactly what Gabriel told them to do. That when Gabriel talked to Zachariah, he said, you shall have a baby boy and you shall call his name John. And it, it, it's difficult for us to understand just how much of a jolt this would have been to the family there. Like, the, um, in this culture, every child without exception, would have been named after uh, someone in their family that came before him. And so uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, in naming their son John, are simply living out faithful obedience in the midst of really strong cultural or family pressure to name him uh, something else. And when he live, they live out this obedience and give him the name John... What we see is something incredible in that Zachariah's tongue was loosened. Now, he was mute because when he expressed doubt to the angel Gabriel, Gabriel took his voice away for the duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And then when they lived out this obedience, suddenly Zachariah can, uh, can talk again. And these people notice that. And the very first words out of his mouth... After months of discipline for a priest, that would have been incredibly significant. After months of, uh, after months of discipline and going without his voice, um, we see his voice is restored and his first words were praising God, who is the author of every single piece of joy that they're experiencing in this passage. And when you put all this together, what you see is that the, the circumstances of this birth are just incredibly cool. Like everything recorded here is wildly unique and interesting, and as birth stories go, this is a good one. And put together, as the passage leads us to understand, is that all of these extraordinary circumstances lead us to understand that this is the birth of an extraordinary child. And indeed, he was extraordinary. And we get a little glimpse of this in verse 80. When you look, it says that the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. 
And many commentators note, here and otherwise, that John the Baptist grew into the image of the prophet Elijah, and he's called a prophet. And this is significant that God has sent a prophet to his people. And you know, I sometimes wonder what it was like for the Israelites in the days leading up to Jesus' birth. Because the prophets, understanding what the prophets were, they were those people who spoke God's word to the people. They embodied God's will before the people, and they were a perpetual reminder that God was with them and his desires were for them. And perhaps most importantly, they were the ones that reminded the people of God's treasured promises that a Messiah would come and deliver them. And just a prophet being with the people meant that God's attention was on them. And the last prophet that these people had known about, that the people of Israel had seen and heard from, was Malachi. Maybe 400, 450 years or so ago. And after that, it was silence. And for many, I just wonder what that must have felt like. That God might have felt very far away. And listen, while we all know the experience of loneliness in some way, the feeling, the fear that God is far removed and the, the, the haunting meaninglessness that might accompany that fear invites us into a desperate kind of life. Like, is, is God here? And does God care? And listen, this is one of our deepest questions of longing in this life. When we watch the tragedies of the world unfold around us, when the world feels dark and cold, or when we make our way through suffering, our own suffering, these are the questions of longing that we ask. Is God here? Is he close? And does he care? And the audacity of this story is that God is penetrating the silence in a very publicly visible way. And there's something incredible unfolding right in front of the people here. I don't know if we could capture with words just the joy that these people must have understood witnessing these extraordinary things because what it meant to them was something so incredible was happening in front of them that only God's agency in the world could have explained it. And it tells them that God is drawing near to them. And when we speak of Advent, when we talk about Jesus drawing near and entering our world, we are holding on to the claim that God is not dispassionate or far away, that he's not far away from you. He's not so contemptuous of our sin that he gives us the silent treatment. And the comforting claim of Jesus is that he's right there with us all the time. That's his claim. As, a, as constant as the air that we breathe. How? Well, Jesus was among us in a public ministry for a few years, right? And then Jesus was crucified. He died the death that we all deserved. And it was the sacrifice that wins for us the, the, the forgiveness of sins. 
and then, uh, and then he was resurrected. And right before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples something just incredibly precious. What did he say? Do you remember? He said, behold, I will be with you. I will be with you always until the end of the age. And days later, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Jesus once called the Holy Spirit the helper. And he's the one who eagerly takes on the task of comforting with us, uh, comforting us. He's the one who proclaims Christ through our hearts and even praying for us when we don't know how to pray for ourselves. And he's the one who holds us in faith until Christ returns from us for us. And so what I want you to hear this morning is that if you look to Jesus in faith for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells us, that he's the one who ministers to our hearts every moment of every day. And that's incredibly intimate business. But the claim of Advent the wonder of God drawing near, we too get to say that we are never far away from God and his concerns are for us all the time. And I don't know if you saw it or not, but the Holy Spirit is the major player in this passage. Like when Elizabeth meets Mary, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit as the the baby leapt in her womb. And when Zechariah prophesies, prophesies, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as John grows, the passage said he became strong in spirit. The Holy Spirit's active and moving in, incredibly, in incredible ways. And as John, as, John grows, um, as John grows, what I want you to understand this morning is that the Holy Spirit laboring almost invisibly for the sake of all these people, so he labors for you today and every day. He's your helper. He's your comfort. He's your conviction. And he's the one who draws us near to those who are alone. He's with you always. And so this is, this is the way he answers the question, is God close and does he care? The answer, the answer to you that you and I need to hear all the time is that the answer to that is yes. God is close and he's near. And that's the hope of Advent that we bear witness to. All right, extraordinary circumstances lead to an extraordinary purpose, do they not? And Zechariah sees that when uh, Zechariah knows that while all the people are wondering what in the world is God doing, Zechariah understands that something incredible is happening. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to prophesy about the purposes of God in bringing John the Baptist into the world. And in many ways, John, in many ways, John the Baptist is a prelude to the joy of knowing Christ. And so he begins to say certainly incredible things. And here's what I want to say. I know where we're at as far as time goes. But let me say this, that, that, uh, that Zechariah prophesies that in bringing John, God is reve- revealing the Redeemer, recovering their identity, and restoring their hope. It's, it's incredible that, that Zechariah, when he begins to prophesy, isn't actually talking about his own son, the, the one that was just born. But he starts to talk about one that's coming from the house of David. Zechariah is a Levite. But one that comes from the house of David that's being prophesied about is the long-promised Messiah, the one who would come. And John's job was to point to the Redeemer, to help the, the people understand that when you see Jesus, you see the Messiah that God sent, the one who came for the redemption of our sins. And, and uh, as we see here, the child's vocation, 
It is inherited from birth that he will be the prophet of the Most High. And so that's John's God-given role. And that's just what we see him doing in a couple of chapters. As you look at John the Baptist's ministry, he is, he is pointing to Jesus and telling him there's one that's greater than I that's coming. And so he reveals the Redeemer, but he also helps them recover their identity. Hear this. Look at these passages. Verse 72. Check this out. It talks about God remembering his holy covenant. Now, what's going on there? Uh, verse 73 describes God's oath that's sworn to Abraham. It says that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve God without fear. This is the dream of God's people, to be able to live and work and serve without fear because they enjoy the provision and the protection of God in front of them. But what's being referenced here is the covenant agreement between God and Abraham. And you can look at it at Genesis 12, 15, 22. You can kind of see that develop. But God made a commitment to his people. And when he did that, he gave them an identity to serve, uh, to serve him in the world. And hear this. This is uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I'm going to read this. And I want, as, I, as I read this, I want you to just hear the identity that God is placing on his people. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, I will protect you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's purpose for his people from the very beginning is that he would set them aside and and mark them out as his own people so that they would be a vehicle of God's blessing to their neighbors who don't yet know God. That is a core identity. And what we have here is this, uh, this hope and desire that in bringing John the Baptist who will point to Jesus, that the core identity of God's people will be recovered again. And then finally, he restores their hope. And you see this uh, in the powerful imagery that he uses in verses 78 and 79. It says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us, from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, I don't know. I don't know why. But there's just something magical about a sunrise. Am I right? And at some point, I would love for you to take a vacation to the east coast of Maine and to Acadia National Park. Some of you have probably been there. Don't go there in July. I mean, in December. Probably wait till the summer to go out there. It's on the east coast. And when you go there, you should hike to the top of uh, Cadillac Mountain. And uh, if you watch the sunrise from the top of Cadillac Mountain, you will be the first. You'll be the first people in America that would be able to see the sun rising. And you should bundle up even in July because the day, the, the day is always coolest. It's at its coldest right before the dawn. So you'll need to bundle up. And when I went there, I remember my brother-in-law brought a sleeping bag. 
And we all laughed at him uh, when he hiked up to the top of that mountain with a sleeping bag until we got to the top and realized just how cold it was. Uh, and then we were jealous of him. And we watched with eyes trained on the horizon for the sunrise to come. And we saw as the sky slowly became purple and orange creased the sky and we could see the, the, the mist over the waters part because of the coming warmth. And what we noticed as the sun came up was that we just didn't need our jackets or our sleeping bags anymore. And we didn't need to protect ourselves against the, the cold darkness because the sun had come. And my hope for you as we journey together through Advent and for years ahead, what I hope and what can feel like an unusually cold and dark time is that when you look at the birth of Jesus, you will see the beginnings of a sunrise. That God is indeed moving closer to his people and he's moving closer to you. And he cares for you and he's giving us just what we need and sustaining us until Jesus, our King, comes back for us. Amen. Let me pray. And Father, I pray that you would sustain us with this truth. You will give us great joy as we consider these things. And that just as Zachariah was held in hope for all that you will accomplish through Jesus, that we too would be held in hope. And as we look at the wonder of Jesus coming near to be with us, that you would sustain us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.